This week on Double Dragon, entertainment reporter Kim Renfro joins me. Kim is the author of The Unofficial Guide to Game of Thrones. You can buy that wherever you buy books, and I would highly recommend it. Then Steve and I cover episode two of season eight. This episode contains one of my very favorite scenes of the entire series. It's when Jamie knights Brienne. If nothing else, season eight gave us that scene. What a gift. Okay, without further ado, here is reporter Kim Renfro. Kim, welcome to Double Dragon. I can't wait for House of the Dragon to be released. We're just a few short weeks away. Yeah, I genuinely cannot believe that it's already July. And then I'm like, oh, wow, that's next. I, I literally feel like no time has passed since we were getting the news that this show even existed. Right. And uh-huh. now it's here. Now it's here. Now, I think that maybe we should begin with just some basics for folks who have kind of been following the news and, you know, might be interested in the show. But, you know, they might be a little bit fuzzy on some of the details. Um so I think that folks who have downloaded this podcast know that we're talking about a Game of Thrones prequel, but I thought maybe we could talk about some of the principal players, like who would be sort of the main showrunner or showrunners for this? Yeah, for sure. So we have one familiar name uh, very high up there. So co-show, it's it's two, they have two showrunners, so kind of similar to Game of Thrones, how we had uh, David mm-hmm. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Uh, those two are not involved at all in this spinoff. Oh. <laughs> instead, oh. all, the, all of the fans are so sad to hear that. <laughs> uh, instead, it is two, um, two guys named Miguel Sapochnik, who people might know that name because he was a very notable director on the series on, on mm-hmm. Game of Thrones starting in season five. He came in like guns blazing with his episode Hard Home. Um, right which was incredible. One of my favorites of the whole series. And then he did like battle of the bastards, the winds of winter Mm -hmm. with like the whole sept of Baylor exploding. And then like the two big battles in season eight. So Miguel Sapochnik is sort of like the director showrunner. So he sort of is, my understanding is he like, I'm pretty sure directed the pilot sort of set the tone for the series. And then Mm. Ryan Condal is um, a showrunner who came from his last series, I believe was, uh, Colony, and I know that he's worked on other projects before, but he did a, a drama series called Colony, and he is like the writer showrunner. So he's sort of okay. the one overseeing the writer's room, really being story invested. And George mm-hmm. R. R. Martin has spoken very highly of both men, but he especially said that he's known Ryan Condal for a very long time, knows that okay. he's a huge, like a Song of Ice and Fire fan and and writer and talented guy so he has he's got the full backing of of george which is cool yeah that is cool now i will mention with sapochnik that you know the the episodes that you mentioned those are all basically episodes that don't correspond to book material right so hard home true does not draw from anything george wrote 
and and of course Battle of the Bastards we're not there in the books yet and so we we've we've seen him do pretty well with some really celebrated episodes that do not correspond to book content. Yeah. And then was Condal in any way connected to the first series or is he a newcomer? I believe he's a newcomer, but he was okay. a big fan is my understanding and like had met George and talked mm-hmm. to him about the book series and stuff in the past okay. before he was hired right. into this into this role. Sure thing. Sure thing. And then I wanted to ask what a lot of folks are wondering, and that is, how involved actually is George with this with this project? I, I see that he's listed as one of the writers, but I wonder if you could kind of fill us in on how attached he actually is. Yeah, from what I've gathered from his blog posts about it, he hasn't actually penned any scripts. He's not actually mm. like sitting in the writer's room, but he had a bunch of like preliminary early stages meetings with Ryan Condal and with some of the the actual okay. script writers to sort of, I'm guessing, inform them about like fire and blood details, what he's been thinking mm. about this entire Targaryen history and sort of help like shape, I'm guessing, the arc of what they're going to do in this first season. Sure. Um, and then from there, you know, he's listed as a writer, I'm guessing, because that's how it works when you're doing a show based entirely on a lot of book material that George has written, you know, Um, I'm sure there will be some dialogue and, and things slipped in there from his, from his novels. But yeah, he's not actually like, he's not actually writing scripts in the way that he was doing for one episode of each of the four, the first four seasons of Game of Thrones. All right. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think I was mistaken on that point. Um, So his involvement in the writing process probably is mostly due to the book material that he wrote for Fire and Blood. Right. And, and then mm-hmm. and then he's you, you think that maybe he had a look, a preliminary look at some scripts? Yeah, he said that he's seen I'm sure he I'm sure he got preliminary script drafts and then he said that mm-hmm. he's been um, given like rough cuts of the episodes for the last at least few months. So yeah, okay. he's pretty well informed and he seems he just keeps really singing its praises in all of his blog mm-hmm. posts. So he seems really happy sure. with what he's seeing so far. Now, I don't want to make it sound like a new a newcomer to the screen is necessarily uh, a negative. We, we, we met a lot of new actors in the first series that we'd never seen before in anything else that we fell in love with, right? Yep. But I wonder if there are a few actors that we will meet in the show that maybe we've seen before. And maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the principal actors in this show. Yeah. So I think in the same way that Sean Bean was the most recognizable person in the original cast of Game of Thrones, I think that that's sort of our equivalent to Matt Smith, who is Mm. um, co-starring in House of the Dragon. He's probably the face that most people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy, whether it's from Mm -hmm. Doctor Who or... A whole variety of movies that I honestly can't think of off the top of my head, but like (laughs) you know, he's he's the guy you know, Um, right? And then yeah, there are some other folks like Patty Constantine. I know some people um, might be familiar with, and then like you said, a lot of newcomers who have had minor roles in other places. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to kind of see what they bring to the show. One of the cast names that really perked my ears was um Sonoya Mizuno she yeah me too yeah did you did you watch devs 
on. I I watched Devs and I saw um. Oh, what was the sci-fi show she was movie she was in? Uh, oh, Ex Machina. Yeah, Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yes, uh, she was really impressive. Yeah, I'm a big fan Devs. of hers. So I'm sure. super curious to see um her in this sort of like westeros universe and then yeah all the newcomers because like you said you know nobody knew who nikolai costrawaldo was or i mean really yeah. like lena Headey. i guess i had seen her in 300 and like a couple minor roles but like the the talent that they really brought to those characters right. was phenomenal and so we'll mm-hmm. we'll see how all of these various folks uh, sort of slip into those roles for this new spinoff Okay, so famously, like you wrote the book on Game of Thrones and all of the production. Um, you're the author of the unofficial guide to Game of Thrones, which people can pick up wherever they buy books. In terms of production, is there any like major production differences between this series and the previous series? I'm imagining they're going to reuse a few sets, so they've got those in place, but... Um, I'm wondering if there's any sort of te- technology differences or if, you know, what, what are what are some of the similarities and differences between the two productions? Yeah, so I think it's it's not quite as sprawling as Game of Thrones was in the later years, you know, where they had three different uh, mm. crews like operating all at the same time in like Spain and Iceland and Northern Ireland. I think that this has been a slightly more contained scale for this first season, which, you mm. know, makes sense. They're kind of testing an unknown here with how many sure. people will tune in, but yeah, you're right that, you know, they, they've got the Titanic studios and the, the, the red keep throne room, which they've tweaked. I don't know if you noticed that in the trailer. It se- no, I didn't. It seems like the production team is already, they made some adjustments so like the Iron Throne looks a little bit different in this show oh, sure. because it's back in the Targaryen days and it's like truly the entire platform is covered in swords and it looks a lot more sort of like yeah. asymmetrical and unwieldy, which is how it's described in the books. Which I think is a, probably a bit of fan service because yeah. those people who are sort of book fans are all, we're always a little bit disappointed with yeah. the, the Iron Throne, right? Yeah, so it's kind of cool that they're like taking um, they're taking some liberties given the fact that they're telling a different story that's in the same universe but mm-hmm. of a very different time um and then like i know uh, michelle clapton who did incredible costuming work for game of thrones uh is not the lead costume designer for this show so like mm. again you might see some it might feel a little bit different with the way that people are living in their clothes and like the look of everything mm-hmm. but again we're supposed to be in a different era. So like, we'll see how that translates. And then I'm really excited that they um, brought back Ramin Jawadi to do, he's the composer and he was the composer for all of- Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like those Targaryen themes that he always did for Danny's scenes were so amazing. And so he's getting a whole new sort of like playground to play in with these Targaryen characters. And that should be really cool and kind of add to the continuity between shows. So it will sound- Hopefully it will sound very familiar to folks, but also again right. with a little bit of added added zhuzh. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I do want to spring a different topic on you, mm-hmm. and that is Kit Harrington's <laughs> uh supposed project that I think was has been confirmed but not green lighted or 
Like, what can you tell us about this new Jon Snow spinoff? Yeah. So when I reached out to HBO, uh, I basically I got they they did not comment. Um, uh-huh, so uh-huh. nothing in my aspect of the reporting is super confirmed, but there are some very reliable folks out there, including James Hibbard at The Hollywood Reporter, who basically said that this idea is in development stages. So like it's not uh-huh. at like green lighting a pilot stage. It's not at, oh, we have like, we don't know that there are even scripts written, but apparently, yes, Kit Harrington himself, I guess, brought the idea to HBO. That's what George R. R. Martin said in a recent blog post, which is mm-hmm. kind of the most like confirmation we've gotten is that George says like, yes, this is real. Um, he said that Kit brought the idea to them, which I think is really interesting. I don't think that I would have expected Kit Harrington to be like, Mm-hmm. the first person eager for a spinoff. I don't think it's a secret that I'm a big Jon Snow fan and I loved mm-hmm. Kit Harrington in that role. So I like, when I saw that news, I was like, I was literally flabbergasted. I was like, I don't like my brain short circuited. Cause I was like, okay, do I want to see more Kit Harrington as Jon Snow on screen with like ghost, like assuming that there's no more mm-hmm. dragon budget to be worried about for the show. Are we going to get like full direwolf budget? That would be cool. But at the same time, <laughs> I don't, it just, it completely changes. It, it turns this into a much more like MCUification of Westeros in a way that only doing prequel shows hadn't yet like the idea that we're getting like extended canon of these characters way outside of the book scope i don't know it's 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 it just changed a lot of how i'm thinking about the way that hbo is approaching this now and i i genuinely don't really know how i feel about it yet sure (laughs) i mean seasons six and seven and eight were beyond you know the book narrative too right um so I don't. It's a good question, and you know what? They could bring back a dragon. There's at least one dragon that's out there. That's true. Oh God. <laughs> and that's the there, thing. Is there it's goes like, your direwolf budget right there. Yeah, truly, it's like I don't. I don't quite understand what. I can't really think of what story Kit Harrington would be like. I really. I have this great mm-hmm. idea. Let's talk about it to the point that it's like actually in development. I'm like, okay, are we gonna like jump? far into the future of him beyond the wall are are we going back south of the wall and involving like yeah i couldn't i here's here's my here's my thought mm-hmm. my thought is that he'll probably he'll probably be like jules from pulp fiction he's probably going to walk the earth and get into adventures right so but if it does well i cannot see any any successful future that does not also include getting the gang back together. Right. You know? At some point we're gonna have to see a Dinklage cameo. Oh god. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to see a Sophie Turner cameo. Maisie Williams just, for sure. But here's the thing. Oh absolutely. And but here's the thing. I think that I think it has to have a successful first season to try to do something like that. Unless everyone's game. You know, unless everyone wants to get back together. I did see a headline yesterday that uh, John Bradley West was like, heck yeah, send me a script. Like, <laughs> like you know, I don't see why he wouldn't want to. I, I mean, I mm-hmm. love Sam Tarly. He's a great character. If we mm-hmm. get, and that's the thing. Ugh, it's just, it's honestly just kind of baffling. So 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm going to wait until there's actually like pilot information or something before right. I try and, oh, and get sure. too, too riled yeah. up about it. But yeah, it's... Well, here's the thing. I, I kind of feel like, you know, last we talked, we talked about, um, you know, 10,000 ships mm-hmm. and... The sneak, the sea snake, or uh, you know, th- there was a, a ton of other shows that had kind of been approved to be handed over by Martin and not greenlit. But I kind of feel like because Kit Harrington's attached to this, it has the ability to kind of leapfrog the rest of these possible shows. For sure, because um, they know that there's star power there and they know that there's yes. draw for that character for sure. Exactly. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual summer badass fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. There's my boy. There's my big boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, uh, Steve, what percentage of the time is nostalgia appropriate? And we will need an exact figure. Um, 82%. 82% it is appropriate. Some would say that you're a big nostalgia guy based on that figure. Uh, I would, and those people would be right because it's a high number. <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, honestly, when you're teaching grad students like I do, people will complain about 82 for sure. 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 And I'm and I'm here thinking like that's above average. 
you're yeah. you're about above average. What do you want me to say? Right. But they, you know, people will not like Especially you. when it's like, look, I don't know you personally. I'm only going on the information <laughs> that I've acquired from you. And I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that you are an above average person. Um, a little gratitude would be nice. <laughs> I don't yeah, owe not- you nothing. <laughs> you hate nothing to me. Uh, yeah, it's people get their feelings hurt if they get, if you don't say you're an excellent and I'm not really grading them on their personhood. No. Uh, but no. but I'm surprised to hear that you say that nostalgia, that you're a nostalgia guy. I, I don't take you as a nostalgia guy. Really? Well, all right, let me let me rephrase. Take, take a look at me, Anthony. <laughs> and, and maybe listen to some of the references that we've made over this podcast. <laughs> no, these aren't right. exact, These That's aren't exactly fair. current references. I am either uh, have either been sequestered for a very very long trial for many many years, <laughs> or uh, I have a real your hard head time. had been frozen, <laughs> yeah, and then your body cloned, and then here you are, <laughs> Anthony. I'm nostalgic for a time I didn't live in. Well, see, that's the thing. That is the thing. Okay, now I think I've made a category error here, and I need to apologize to you. Okay. Um. I think I was maybe confusing nostalgia with sentimentality. Ah, okay. Here we go. That was All right. Actually, so my follow-up, definitely my follow-up right. to you, my follow-up to yeah. you was going to be, I think we need to define nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's good. I'm, I'm glad. Um, this is the problem when you come up with the hook like three minutes before the, sure, <laughs> before no, the Zoom means. call begins. By all means, I know this is this uh, this whole podcast has taken us by surprise at this time. <laughs> Wait, what? What are we doing? <laughs> as as we start approaching the final episode, you're just now going like, hmm, show prep, show prep, show prep. I'm gonna try to make a truth claim here. You are a nostalgia guy, yes. You know, based on the figure that you gave and the fact that you've confirmed it when I asked you directly. <laughs> <laughs> But you're not a sentimentality guy. Uh, that's a that is an interesting question. So I wouldn't say that. Well, you didn't ask me the percentage of when is sentimentality appropriate. We just assumed because yeah. I was pro nostalgia that I am now anti uh, sentimentality. I, I think no. I think that most people who are pro nostalgia are also pro sentimentality, and I'm saying that you're an outlier. I, that, that's fair. Um, yeah, and so this is an interesting this is an interesting thing, right? Because I grew up in a in a household that favored sentimentality. Um, let me rephrase that: uh, that uh, cloaked hoarding under uh, the uh. guise of sentimentality. So that mm-hmm. might be some of the reason why it's easier for me to let go of certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think nostalgia does. I think that there is a crossover because. Uh, Sometimes the concept of nostalgia, the the hearkening back, is with some sort of a, a sentimental vibe, right? Like so, our like we talked about Star Wars a lot in this in this podcast, and there's sort of this apologetics that we've talked about for the original trilogy mm-hmm. um, that I think is that is I think probably teetering on the form or, or on the verge of of sentimentality over nostalgia mm-hmm. um, because it does bring you back to a certain time, right? Like, and there's something about it that you defend it because in a way you're defending your innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, 
so I think I think that, that to say that nostalgia, my, my nostalgia is completely without uh, sentimentality is is not entirely accurate. But there is also this appreciation for what was and like, eh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like, hey, I I, I yeah. got a lot of shoes. And lately I've been getting a lot of like like uh, Jordans from back uh, in the day. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. It, and part of it is is uh, retro. It's retro. And the thing is, is, is I don't really have a sentimentality towards it because they're mm-hmm. shoes I never owned. Right, so I'm not getting a shoe that I had had, um, mm-hmm. but I but I'm nostalgic for that time frame. I appreciate it's almost like architecture to some degree, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a design uh, appreciation. So I think that's where night like nostalgia can come in. So I think, but again, from a sentimentality standpoint, I don't have many things, if anything, from like a childhood. I don't even have yeah, pictures. Sure, you know what I mean? It's like, and which made me a really bad father because I'm like, you're not going to see any pictures of my children on the wall in this house. <laughs> There's yeah. none. And uh, I mean, and they were. Fine. But it does make you a good Instagram follow, to be. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, and again, the in- Instagram handle is it's Ozfest A U S F E S T. Let me try to make this sound a little bit more scientific. So let's think of sentimentality and nostalgia as a Venn diagram. Okay. And some people have a pretty big overlap of the Venn diagram. Sure, yeah. I bet you a lot of people it's it's almost indistinguishable. Uh, and I think that like it just looks like a, a you know big cyclops or whatever. Yeah. But for a lot of people, like you, you're just a little bit more cross-eyed. Sure. In, in, in <laughs> In the sense. Like, a, like a Shaquille O'Neal cross-eyed, like yeah. you kind of see it some of the time. Yeah, and then when you see it, you're like, "Oh wow, is this always?" <laughs> and then you're like, "No, I guess not. No, but seriously, <laughs> is, he, is he okay?" <laughs> this was a heavy nostalgia episode. Uh, so heavy and nostalgia I think, and i would say that it was it was also i would say if you were looking at the venn diagram of sentimentality and nostalgia i would say yeah. it, was, it was very very big mm-hmm. middle <laughs> yeah if i was if i was going to kind of yeah that, i think you're right if i was going to look back on how much i loved the first episode of the season mm-hmm. which had a lot of like callbacks to season 1 some of those were like oh i recognize the music they're using the same music and sort of critically minded, I can say, oh, that's I can see how they're charting this out. That works. The math works out on this one. Sure. Right. Um, I can see you're you're kind of you know you're you're doing an homage to yourself, but you know yeah, exactly. I, I like sure. it. I, I liked it. Right? I mean, it's <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. you're, you're... And then we get to the Arya hugging John scene where I got a little weepy. Sure. And that was one of those times where it's like, oh, he's this is kind of like he's kind of a stand-in for Ned Stark, who I feel yeah. a little nostalgia for, and I got a little sentimental about it, right? Yeah. So this, I I just feel like this was heavy nostalgia, but I didn't realize until this conversation that it's also heavy sentimentality. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of into it. I don't know what what was your thought about this episode? Uh, you know. F- I was into it too. I actually was into it quite a bit. And I felt like the vibe, and this is what the discussion was after watching it uh, with Heather and I, it was the vibe felt like a final episode. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's that sort exactly. of the wrap up. This this felt like, I mean, if you if you take out the, and in some, here's the thing, man, and I'll tell you what, and this is where I, I maybe it's because I like short stories that don't always mm-hmm. resolve. 
Um, if this was the final episode, like it just ends mm-hmm. with like them looking over the wall, like I would have ended it with them looking over the wall, like that, like when they when you get the backs of the heads looking down, mm-hmm. like that, that would have been a final scene for me, because then yeah. it would have been to me that says, look, one of two things is going to happen, right? They're either going to win or they're going to lose. Um, and if they win, the game just keeps going on in perpetuity. Yeah. Right. right. And if they lose, well, that's the end of the game. And so it, I'll let, let me, th- let me suggest something to you, a little fan edit. Okay. okay. Let's go stop back. In ti- <laughs> Let's go back in time. <laughs> just stop watching right now. You and I are going to go back in time and we're going to convince ourselves to skip this episode. Just skip it. All right. Okay. And then watch the rest of the season and then watch this episode last. Because really, what happens? I mean, aside from sort of the the Danny John, you know, drama or whatever, all the all this episode's doing is it's it's completing character arcs through you know character reunions, right? And then you're gonna have to say, well, you know, some of these characters are dead, but let's remember them like Tarantino in Pulp Fiction would have us remember them. Sure, sure. And it'll be a great, good feeling, and you know you can see the the resolution of these you know trajectories, character arc trajectories, and some work and some don't, and I, I feel pretty good about that. I think yeah, that, that I, actually might work. I think that there's, and that's and it brings up an interesting point, right? Um, if you look at how this season plays out, at least in terms of uh, the reception we discussed, you know, at least from the tomato meter. Mm-hmm. Um, what if you just played the whole? What if they? What if they'd given you this uh, season in reverse? <laughs> you know, but like it's, yeah. you know, and then each one is like mm-hmm. you see the final one first, like whoa, wait, this is how we're starting, and then the yeah. next episode is you know x amount of days earlier mm-hmm. or whatever, and it just does that thing. I think. Well, now that you say that, and because it makes a lot of sense, it makes me think I, I'm not into the fan edit community or whatever. Sure. But I bet you there's a dozen people who have who've been like, yeah, no, you just move these things around, and it it's a pretty yeah. great final season. Yeah, because I think the thing is, is that so here's we talked about last episode being arguably probably like the best last season premiere we we've seen, and I and I I I think that that's 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 not nothing. Right, I mean that's that's a pretty, that's pretty good. It's, it's pretty good pre- for the the worst season of Game of Thrones. Right, it's 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 a pretty solid uh, episode. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a pretty it's a pretty large feat to do this late in in the season when you know that the wheels are going to fall off. So so you can't you can't say that season eight to me. I mean, season eight can end very poorly, and it'll it'll mm-hmm. be it'll sort of diminish, I guess, how you look at the at the whole mm-hmm. series, or at least it has that potential. Um, but you know. They were they were still they were still hitting hitting some uh, pretty pretty good home runs here at the, at the end. Now then yeah. this and in this episode, you know, while it doesn't do a bunch else other than sort of bring everybody and I'm talking everybody and the, the fans to the table, right? Like we get to be flies on the wall in conversations that um, you know we've done it in the past, but this is very much it's a very what they you know I was reading some articles and this is kind of like the bottle episode or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I felt like it. I felt like it had more value than than a like, bottle episode tends to have like more. Well, sort of okay, charm. so yeah, I forget where I heard this, and I probably should credit the person who who said this. Um, might might have been Jim or Aaron. I'm not sure, but someone said this back in the day. That they said, "Well, look, this is a fight against life and death, right?" 
like fundamentally you've got the, the, the people fighting for the side of the living and people fighting for the side of death. And in order for it to actually matter, like for the audience to actually be invested for one side to win, you kind of have to remind them what all these people are living for. Right. Okay. So, you know, so you're going to need to like be super invested in the possibility of some of these, these people that you love continuing to live and you need to remind the audience, this is why you like that character in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. This is why you want to see, you know, Jamie, Knight, Brienne, because you care about these characters getting their ultimate wish, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of shows will do that by, like, showing Sam, you know, passionately kissing Gilly before he charges off to the brink or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they did a little of that, you know. They Grey Worm, Sandy, that kind of thing, yeah, yeah. right? Um, you know, Arya and Gendry, which is I don't know how you felt about that, but I we'll get into all this. <laughs> but they, a, a lot of these characters are totally platonic in in their relationship, and you just, I really did want to see Arya and the Hound have that final conversation. I, I really did want to see. Brand get all weird on Jamie a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know? there are there are a few things I I kind of needed to see, and uh, and this is I don't know if I needed eighty minutes of it, but I enjoy, I enjoyed the ride. I certainly yeah. enjoyed the ride. Yeah, definitely enjoyed the ride. I, this was definitely if it's fan service. Um, I don't think, and I don't have a problem with fan service. Mm-hmm. It depends, right? I mean, if it if it really interrupts the flow, but like, why wouldn't you? The, the 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 discussion about death from everybody and and so many people thinking that it was inevitable and Tyrion who's mm. normally the the voice of of like cynicism uh, cynicism right? and and raw reason yeah is yeah. the one that's like yeah I think we're gonna make it you know and and, and I but also that was like it felt like Tyrion at that moment was being exactly what his job is like yeah. as, as the hand you're there to advise. But you're uh-huh. also there to sort of, you know, kind of rally the troops. Well, on top of that, he's been really good at offering the alternative position that no one has the guts to say. But because he's lived his life as everyone's making fun of him all the time, he's built up this kind of emotional armor where he's like, I'm brave enough to say what no one else is going to say. And in this case, it just so happened that everyone in the room was feeling quite pessimistic. Right. right. And and also there's this there's an interesting sense of as everything goes along and it's like, look, he thought he had brokered a really good deal with Cersei and she uh, mm-hmm. outsmarted him. So he's like and he's like, ah, my, my my judgment was clouded because I had false hope. And yeah. in this case, maybe my judgment is clouded because I have false cynicism. You know, so there's this. Well, and that's an interesting thing. I'm glad you said that because I haven't thought about this in these terms before. But the difference between Tyrion, when I was, I loved him like romping around Westeros, cracking wise, and the Tyrion we see now is not that he's maybe stupider than he used to be, but that he has hope. He he's found this unlikely, weird faith and hope in Danny. Right? Yeah. And it's kind of changed his character quite a bit. Yeah. And and I wonder if that has, 
you know, contributed to his clouded judgment or whatever. I don't well, know. Well, yeah, right. Because I mean, like, that's what he's been leaning on, right? He's been leaning on. Well, I'm hoping Cersei is this, and then he's yeah. he's banking on them being more human than he has ever thought that they could be, mm-hmm. um, or self interested in the same way that he would be self interested. Sure, sure. And right. so, and and I think that there's, but it's interesting because what I like about it is that even he's not like every time Danny seems to question him about like whether it's I think your loyalties are clouding your judgment or whatever it might be um, he doesn't argue a whole lot about it yeah like yeah. he'll say no but then you can tell that there's a very like it's very clear that he's like geez I don't know maybe I'm not used to to not being the smartest guy in the room or at least you know but at the same time it's like so he's he's got this hope and he doesn't quite know what to do with it. Like he's, he's mm-hmm. taken by it, but he hasn't mastered it yet. And maybe that's, that's the right. lesson is that, that hope, unlike cynicism can't be mastered. And so that's mm-hmm. a different, you know, hope, hope will, will move you. And I think we've seen this, there's been some, like some more explicit, some sort of more, you know, subtle discussions of like, well, like hope and faith and, and, and believing in somebody, and I guess to another degree, love um, will make you do weird things. And it yeah, might make things. it might make you stupid and, and, and brave, and there may be no difference, right? I think. Well, and Sansa calls this out with John, right? Like, right, exactly. If he's in love with you, then I. It's not that I don't trust him; it's that I trust the fact that men do stupid things when they're in love. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's. Uh, I think that's kind of what we're seeing. So this episode felt like a lot of that. Um, interesting. You said you don't know if you needed the eighty minutes of it. I needed eighty minutes, but I needed it dispersed differently. Um, Tell me more. So, because the, what was happening, there was there was a and we talk about pacing. There was a series of cuts where it's like Jamie's in there with Bran. Next thing you know, Jamie's with Tyrion, and you're like, well, I wasn't done with Jamie in that room yet. Yeah, and then now huh. you're giving me Jamie. You're resolving Jamie over here, and I'm like, I don't need. And then oh, now he's with Bri- with Brienne. I'm like, it's a lot of. It was a lot of Jamie cuts that I'm like, I can, I can. I, if you space those out differently and maybe give me a little, I, mm. I wanted more weird Bran and Jamie because I think that's because <laughs> yeah. well, first off, you set me up for it, right? Like the last episode ends with them looking at each other, and I'm like, oh shit, I was just gonna turn out, and it was like, that's eh, brief. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that's yeah. that's fine. I mean, it was good. I mean, I liked. I liked what was in there. I liked. I liked that he got real weird and and you know, very dark. Um, but I, I think I could have even honestly, I could have even just sat in there with them looking at each other in silence, and that to me would would have been more like how Game of Thrones would pace itself in the past. It would let you sit on something right. for a bit, right? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that we've lost the pacing that made this show work for so long. It's like it's like one little chink in the armor. It's not like going to ruin the episode for no, you. You're right. It's you're like, right. No, if I you was, do and everything I else it. right in the episode. The pacing thing is something that you could probably overlook. Um, but this is an episode that's designed to evoke an emotional response, right? And pacing is how you do that, right? Yeah. And I think, and what's hard about this is that again, it's it's is it as great as the last episode? No, but this is certainly a, a again, this is a we are two episodes in, so we are mm. a third of the way through the final season, and I'm feeling good. You know what I mean? Like I feel good. I will I, say, uh, whenever I hear people disparage the final season, and I'm feeling a little optimistic, I think back to the moment that Jamie says, "You don't need a king. Any knight can make another knight." 
approve it. Kneel, Lady Brienne. Do you want to be a knight or not? Kneel. She looks at Pod. Pod doesn't say anything. Pod just looks back at her like, like, do it. Like, like she and Pod have this sort of, like, just visual shorthand now. Yeah. And th- you really believe this relationship between Jamie and, and Brienne is that kind of intimacy. And it's not romantic. It doesn't need to be romantic at this point. It's like, no, these guys are... These two people really respect one another. And Jamie's finally clued in that he is, that she's every bit his equal, right? Right. I needed that. I love that. I love that she finally... It's a wish that's so deep in her that she she's afraid to even name it, right? She tries right. to play it off and say, I, I don't even really want to be a knight. Even though she's been saying her whole, you know, she's been <laughs> saying throughout the last seven seasons... That don't call me lady. I'm not a lady. I'm not a lady. Right, right. But people don't really know what to call her. And, right. And like, so deep down, she she knows she wants to be called Sir Brienne. And here, Jamie is kind of fulfilling this wish that she that's so deep in her she can't even name. I look back on that scene and I think, yeah, but season eight had that scene. Sure. And I'm so glad that scene exists. And so. The fact that season eight has little scenes like that makes me think, let's not paint it with the same brush. So I and so I feel like so here's another thing, and this is now we're getting pretty meta probably, but like I think season finales almost have to be treated as their own genre. Hmm. Um, because because they exist in such a different I mean it's it's the exception at this point, is it, what it feels like is the good season finale. Well, right? Let me tell you something about season finales, Steve. Or series finales, I should be more specific. Series finales. Yeah. Let me tell you something about series finales. Especially with shows that are as beloved as Game of Thrones. You get all these eyeballs onto Game of Thrones that didn't go along for the ride. Sure. Because it's a cultural moment. Mm-hmm. And as soon as your favorite indie band becomes mainstream, mm-hmm. yeah. there's a temptation to say, yeah, the only reason you like that is because you weren't there in the beginning and you right. don't get who these people are. This betrays their authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, and you get these hardcore fans that want to distinguish themselves from the casual like, yeah, oh, give it a try. Everyone else is watching it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The watch party folks. Uh-huh. And I think that there's there's some kind of cultural currency that you get by by leaving the fandom a little bit earlier than everyone else. Right, right. I don't know if that, I mean, it's not like, I, I, I don't want to defend any, anything, but I do think that there's an element of the... I was in early and I was out early, and therefore I'm cooler than you. Yeah. Oh no, that it makes goes sense. into these things. Yeah, and you have like I mean, and we talk a lot about the fans uh, in and the fan response in this podcast. And I think, I mean, the very fact that there are people that that you know would be upset about you know Lord Bolton not being a vampire and that 
it suggests everybody. I mean, you go into this thing with with what you what you bring into it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and sure. uh, and you've got so you got book readers, you got you know fan forum folks, you have people that are getting so much discussion. And I think I yeah, I yeah. talked about this before is that when it's when you have weeks in between or months in between, and you're mm. talking and you're on message boards or you're getting together with folks or you're whatever the situation is, your investment is is it just it gets it grows exponentially yeah and and then your expectations grow exponentially and then your discussion of it has come to a point where it's like well now i've done so many predictions and we've loved what we've Mm. predicted anything short of that now feels uh that's right like it's wrong right that's right or the other option is that the show is just bad (laughs) that's the other option the other option (laughs) is that the other option is that it just wasn't good well, that's and, the, and that's you the, tried to like it and you just didn't, you know. That's the part that's the most fascinating about this is because I have talked to, I mean, I've talked to uh, learned book and uh, show fans such as yourself. Yeah, I've talked to the casual fan who was like, "Yeah, I was pretty into it." I mean, I, I'd have to kind of rewatch. I don't remember mm. who that person is. I've talked to people that you know or have it have these some of this imagery tattooed on their body and not a one has told me it's good <laughs> and again i'm gonna and i stand by the idea that that in and of itself is special and i hope <laughs> i hope that weiss and benioff get the credit for doing something remarkable and time i think will 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 show them as visionaries <laughs> Because the like I said, the only way to unite a group of people such as this the splintered kingdoms in Westeros is to have a common enemy, and that common enemy is themselves. So you, you know what? I just thought of this that would be really great. All right. So what Weiss and Benioff were doing at this point in the series where they were they were shooting multiple scenes with alternate endings, right? Because there were leaks. so many eyeballs that they didn't want to give away a reveal. Right. And there had been leaks right at this point, like show leaks. The, oh, there had been show leaks. And the only way to like not like the only way to combat a show leak is to is to like film, like actually have the actors film alternative endings with the sole purpose never to use the tape. Right. Right. So do you remember at the Oscars when. Moonlight won, but then La La they, Land was announced. They they, they were going to give it to La La Land. It yeah. was just the wrong envelope. What if it's revealed like fifty years from now? I was just going to say they gave the, they gave one of those dummy endings. <laughs> they they accidentally sent the wrong footage to HBO, and they can't say that they did. No, they abs- they have to wait till they're dead before. So they now end. they got to sit here and defend it. <laughs> oh, that'd be incredible. <laughs> That would that to me that that would bring such. But also, you could you could say that too. You could you could mm-hmm. you could go. Well, this is the ending we want. We have another one. If this one doesn't. Go well. <laughs> All right. How much do you want to talk about Arya's sex scene? Um, probably not a ton. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it isn't. It, it, it isn't. wasn't for me. I, I yeah. there were a lot of people that were really like. I feel like I have to watch my little sister have sex. Yeah, this is not good. Yeah, and, and then and, there were other people saying. Don't judge her. Let her get her freak flag on. Yeah, if why? She why? Wants. Why shouldn't she? Why wouldn't she want to? At the end, I mean, the Gendry. They're just looking at. I mean, Gendry's. You know, he's he's a sweaty Smith. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, if you're, there's a yeah. lot. There's there. Yeah. I mean, I 
I guess we kind of joked about how Pod would make a good boy toy. I mean, that's basically what Gendry is at this point. Right. I um. I didn't. I don't know that I. I. I don't. I didn't hate it. I don't. I didn't need it. Um. But it also made made sense. Um. I don't know that we needed. Yeah. I mean. I guess. I guess it could have been done a little. It could have been produced a little differently because I think that might be where some people were like. You can you can have her yeah. have that moment without it. I mean, it didn't get real real graphic, but there is there. You know, it was it was more graphic than you. There was nudity. There was nudity, and, and, I, and if it's your little, if you have that little sister type thing mm-hmm. going on, I guess that that's a problem. Um, I feel like I do feel like it is an interesting thing culturally that it's like, oh, I don't want to see her naked. I'd rather just see her rip faces off people. <laughs> Be true to her character. Make her murder him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? I honestly, after this episode, I remember thinking, this is going to sound really crazy, but I remember thinking like, I wonder if she's going to take his face. Oh, really? Because if she can kind of take his body and use all of her sort of, you know, ninja know-how. Right, right. She in can, a blacksmith's body, she can fight. She she could wreak some real havoc, but then she'd have to kill him to do it. I thought that'd be pretty metal. Yeah, that would be pretty pretty intense, right? But of course, you know, you know. I mean, I did not say that that's what I wanted to happen. I just thought, huh? I wonder if she's going to take his face. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that would like be true to his character arc because, of course, Mel never got at him. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I um. I it was it was like it was fine I guess I mean there was um there's so what do we have and we had we had that scene it just it it could we have mm-hmm. done without it yeah could we have at least implied like maybe that would have been a little safer choice <laughs> right like all of a sudden they're just in bed together and you're just like oh all right good for you guys um it doesn't feel very Game of Thrones ish mm-hmm. um well you're right it it absolutely doesn't feel I was I was watching them you know, hook up. And I was thinking this doesn't happen very often in game of Thrones. These are two people who had a meet cute, fell in love. And now they're hooking up. Mm-hmm. Normally something horrible is going to happen. Right. You're right. It's like, okay, you know, Rob, Rob does this with Talisa. Guess what happens to them? Yeah. Right? yeah. So that was a little, that was a little weird. Um, I I wrote down that this was a very high school musical episode of Game of Thrones. Interesting. If you think about it, they're putting on they're all putting on a big production. <laughs> You've got unlikely characters and you know in, in roles maybe designed for other people and you know people kind of stepping back into the background. And Gendry actually does sing at one point. Or not Gendry, but Pod actually uh, yeah. does sing it. Some yeah, cause, cause one still, because because Ed Sheeran did not go north uh, with the Lannister. <laughs> right. So Pod actually sings at one point because, uh, of course, Ed Sheeran is not available. I suppose. Um, I, and the the all of the high school drama between John and Danny. Yeah. <laughs> it was like you're okay. You like her. You're kind of afraid to tell her something. And so you're gonna leave the party a little bit early so you don't have to talk to her. Right. That is that is like some serious high school drama stuff right there, and just the zoom in on her face, like, oh shit, like what what I do wrong? Right. Like, does he not like me anymore? Right. Well, this is very much the uh, 
the Skywalker reveal, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> only, well, on, he... only last time. I mean, the Skywalkers only they 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 kissed. Uh, <laughs> this is a little bit more than that, I guess. So yeah, John's got to feel pretty conflicted because he's genuinely in love with her. They've had sex a few times. And now he doesn't know which card to pick out, which Hallmark to exactly. card to pick out, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh. Like, do I pick out the one for my aunt or my girlfriend? Yeah. Do you have something in a thanks for the sex, auntie? <laughs> you know what? I'll just get a blank inside. I'll get a blank inside. This one has a picture of a waterfall. I think she'll like it. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. So, but but again, I I do I like that the complication continues. I think, but it but it's fascinating too, right? So there's from a from a viewer standpoint, you're just like you're on a little bit on edge because you're like, well, the reason why yeah. this is getting so sentimental, and the reason why we're going down memory lane is because some of these people aren't going to be around to talk about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if any of them, right? I mean, that that's kind of the overwhelming. Cons- the- and they're and they're talking about it. They're like they are. They they know they know death is not literally knocking at the door. Right. right. So so for the like so in ways we talk about like this feels like a fan service episode in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it it does a couple of things, right? It does one. It says, "Hey, remember and let's enjoy," and then it also gives that sense of like because you know this this isn't gonna go well, right? Like like we we've given you all <laughs> all the indications, all the clues that. That, uh, now that you've fallen in love with all of these characters, right? And they go, just so you know, the reason. Remember, the, and they, we're gonna we're gonna talk about death a lot, and also prepare. Um, but it also ratchets up the the emotional effect, right? Because I think it's important with a show that has sort has has really um, excelled in carnage and the unexpected death mm-hmm. um, to just feel like here we go again. And they really want this final season to be like, this is the final season. We want you to have all the feels. We're going to create, even if we yeah. have to manufacture right. it, get all the feels going. Um, and hopefully it, it pays off. Right. So they do this episode where it's like, it's like 75 minutes of feels, right? Mm-hmm. And then they leave that John and Danny, like, are they breaking up? Right. Which, which suggests... To the end, and it's like, oh shit! There's maggots under the rice. I was yeah, really yeah. enjoying the rice, you know. Yeah, and it also suggests it gives you a it it appears to give you a clue that says, hey, this this in, this coming battle isn't the only battle that's that's still yet to be resolved here. Right, right which right. suggests yeah, we're still playing the Game of Thrones, right? Which yeah, and so the very fact that that exists um, sort of gives a clue to. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to, to read the tea leaves or whatever, like, OK, mm-hmm. I think these two are probably going to make it out of this mm-hmm. or, or, or something. You know, I mean, one of them, whatever, it, because why would you why would you continue unless that's also just to keep off the scent? You know, there's all these different elements. So at least it keeps you back. It, it brings you back into the Ooh, what mm-hmm. is going to happen and how is this going to And if they do win and what does that mean? And and, I, you know, and I, there was a part where I was like, well, why isn't and I guess the horn blows, but like, why isn't John? Does John want the throne? Because I get the sense he never did. Um, well, all right. So here's how I'm reading it. Yeah, I don't think he ever wanted the throne. But I think that there's a little bit of Stannis in him. Like, Stannis was like, 
oh, I'm the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. I'm gonna go do my duty. Right. Okay. Like I don't care. Like I don't care what it, what has to happen. There is a line of succession. The society functions in a particular way. If I have to, you know, it's not something that I I would have you know pressed. But I'm certainly not going to let someone who's not in line for the Iron Throne cut in front of me in line. Right. I think that there's something about John that's like, I'm going to do my duty. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do what I think is the right thing and consequences will have to work themselves out. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, also there's, I think maybe added to the fact that, that I think we get to really see Danny's true colors in this. And I, we've seen mm-hmm. him, we've seen glimpses, but I think this is a really important moment because as oh, the, 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 that wrestling match of, is she being altruistic? Is she trying to, she wants this freaking throne. And, yeah. and yeah, she yeah. didn't come this far to not sit on the throne. And she is not really interested. She wants it as much as Brienne wanted to be called a knight. But she's been telling everyone she wants it. Yeah. Right? So now she's like, well, and then of course there's the, the the disbelief that like, well, maybe these guys, let's say your your good buddy and uh, and your and your weirdo brother are saying that you're <laughs> right. really, I mean, you know, and that's yeah, it's a it's a secret that only your best friend and your brother know. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in reason, it's a reasonable thing to question. If you're I was right. to say, yeah, my cat, my catatonic brother. And uh, and and my fat coward friend, they say I shouldn't be dating you <laughs> because I'm the king. <laughs> um, when when John reveals to Danny who he is, mm. uh, he says he's like, "My name, my real name," and I was just hoping he would say is is Batman. Yeah, that's right. It definitely had that like <laughs> like that, that that Bruce Wayne moment when he wants to tell Vicky Vale. I thought it was great. I thought that that would have been a really great <laughs> outtake or whatever. <laughs> I'm Dragon Boy. <laughs> so, I yeah, that was yeah, anyway. Maybe um, maybe don't lead with everything to say. Just come right out the gate and say I'm your nephew. Figure it out. <laughs> you know, <and> then <laughs> You know, it's weird for me too, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I liked, I liked that. I liked that it kept it. Well, the other thing that people were pointing out was that Danny grew up thinking that she was going to marry her brother because that was oh, yeah, the yeah. Targaryen tradition. And so for her to think, so she, anyway, all this is just to say that in the world that they've created, in this fantasy weirdo world that they've created, Danny's going to come at this reveal in a much different way than John is, right? Yeah. Danny's coming at this as like, what does this mean for the Iron Throne? Right. What does this mean for my political pursuits? Sure. John's coming at this like, dude, you're my aunt. Like you're my aunt. Uh, also, um I've lived my whole life as a bastard Stark. Yeah, yeah. Um things would have been different for me. <laughs> do you know that the woman who was supposed to be my mother hated me like until she died she hated me <laughs> she told me to get out when i was a teenager yeah they, yeah. Go, they both got baggage 
so then the question is, what what is your climax? And, and I think that's maybe a problem for the showrunners. Is your climax who gets on the Iron Throne, or is your climax defeating the Night King? Because if you choose one over the other, it's almost like you're giving the first one short shrift. Mm-hmm. So, and both of those are really big, and I think that you and I have talked a, a, quite a bit about that the Night King is the, he's the big boss, right? Right. Like, that's your true climax. But I think a lot of fans were thinking, no, 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 no. This show ends when I know who sits on the Iron Throne. Right. This is how we started. This is this is the whole thing. The show is called Game of Thrones, not yeah, Watch right. Out for the Night King. Um, <laughs> the idea being that, okay, this has all been leading all these different uh, alliances that have been broken yeah. and restarted and then reconfigured and refurbished and then... It's all been to get to that Iron Throne that currently Cersei, who is not going to fight the Night King, uh, sits upon. In fact, yeah. not only does she not is she not going to help in the fight of the Night King, she is going to take advantage of whatever carnage is left sure. and attack a weakened army, assuming that these folks beat the Night King. In and also, um, hey, Bronn, go up there and kill my brothers. <laughs> um, so there's like these extra added. So, so that suggests to me that, well, yeah, even though I believe, and it looks as though the Night King is the big boss from a show perspective, uh, the throne still seems to be the end goal. And for me, that's where I'm already kind of like, mm, well, okay. I mean, yeah, I get it. Then you're going to have to resolve this Night King thing. And that seems like a lot. Seems like a tall order. And uh, of course, they've point, already given all, you cl- all the fans were thinking clues. like all you got to do is hit the Night King and they all die. Right. So it seems like a tall order. And, and at this point, when we were watching it live, it was like they can pull it off. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I, I, are you buying this whole Sansa Theon reunion? Like Sansa just seems like she's really into Theon or something. Yeah, that was weird. Um I mean, I guess the whole thing, I mean, it, there's always this, like, oh, good, more Theon, more Theon, okay. Um, you know, Theon's gonna, him and the Ironborn are gonna protect Bran as bait, uh, or Bran as bait, and then, uh, um, yeah, she's all excited to see, I don't know, I mean, it's, it's now it's, it's starting, it gets complex, because it, the, the hard part about the Sansa thing is that, like, she's so cold and calculated now, like you said, she's fully, seems fully realized, mm-hmm. that part didn't seem, that seemed too, that that's that's like so three seasons ago, Sansa. <laughs> I did think uh, there was part of me that thought these are the only two people in the world that alive that really know what it's like to be Ramsey's plaything, right? Yeah, yeah. And Theon is not a threat. You know, all of the men in in Sansa's life have been a threat to her. Yeah, Theon is like totally not a threat. And so maybe they, you know, maybe that, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not thinking about them romantically. I'm just thinking about how like, like Sansa needs brother, someone. Sister or whatever. Yeah. She needs, she needs someone to kind of confide in. And I don't know if he, if I want him giving me advice though. Yeah. I don't know what advice he could offer. Like, I guess it's like, like every decision he's ever made has been the wrong decision. Right. So I guess that would be the trick, right? Like whatever he tells you, like, okay, I now know what to do. It's the opposite. Should I wear this blouse? 
I yeah, think that you should one. burn some orphans. Well, okay, um, I'll go with I'll go with the red one.